Hey everybody, this is Nick Padiak. You're listening to I'll Be Damned. Uh, thank you for sticking around through the uh, interim. I haven't done this in a while. Uh, been pretty busy. I was in a play that uh, went up in October. It took up a lot of my time, and so I uh, wasn't able to really devote a lot of time to this podcast, but I'm very, very happy to be back uh, back at it. These These conversations are life-giving to me. I really enjoy sitting down, talking with people, uh, hearing their stories, uh, having them open up to me and, and share things with me. It's, it's really important to me. And, uh, it's, it's really an honor that people are willing to open up to me in the way that they are. Uh, and speaking of which, some uh, sad news to convey is, uh, Walter Guzzi, who, uh, whom I spoke with for one of my interviews a while back, uh, has passed away at the age of 101. This was a, a couple a couple months ago, he uh, he died, and I would very much urge people to go back and listen to his episodes. There are three of them, split it into three parts because he lived for 101 years. It's a lot of a lot of life to talk about. Uh, he was a, a World War II veteran. He fought in the Battle of the Bulge, led a led a remarkable life, and it was a real honor to talk with him and for him to share his story with me. Um, it really meant a lot to me, and it means a lot to me that anyone will will open up and, and share their stories with me, and it also means a lot that, that you listen, so thank you very much for that. Uh, it is my great pleasure today to have as my guest Jen Willie. I went to her house in Chicago, and we recorded this with her cute little dog, Migo, who makes a little bit of an appearance in here. Uh, hope you enjoy that. If you want to get in touch with me, you can check out my website, nicholaspadiak.com. You can follow me on Twitter and uh, get at me there. I am at npadiak. And as always, thank you for listening. Please go ahead and rate the show and tell people you know about it. If you tell people you know about the show. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, if you like it and you want, think that they should listen too. And again, thank you very much to all of my guests for sharing their stories with me and, and to you for, for listening. I really appreciate it. And uh, enjoy my talk with Jen Willie. I just got done with your podcast. Yes, you did. That's fun. What's it called? First and foremost. Tell us about it. First and foremost is really just all about helping people that are listeners of the the show get some tools and just a lot of tips on self-care. So my aim is to bring people like yourself on to shed light on how they care for themselves and what they're out there doing with their passion work that just really lights them up and kind of is like a hug to the soul. And really just have honest, candid conversations with guests on how they tend to themselves so that they can really just feel their best overall. And then it kind of ebbs and flows with some solo episodes where I kind of keep the episodes pretty short, nowhere, usually they're under 15 minutes, but I try to shed some light on what are some quick mini action steps or tools that you can take out and implement right now in your life to just really help you align and feel well. So what, uh, what was the impetus for starting that? Why did, what brought you to that, uh, that sort of work in that podcast? Yeah. So I am a life coach and I am very, very passionate about self-care. I want people to take care of themselves first. I think that there's kind of this sometimes a bit of a notion out there that self-care can be selfish or that, you know, tending to you before you tend to your kids or before you serve, you know, the people that you work with or your family or your significant other, that if you kind of tend to yourself first, that somehow that is a sign of, you know, you being selfish or self-centered or whatever it might be. And I think for me in just my own personal walk in my life, I've realized that you can't fully tend to anybody else until you tend to yourself. Mm. And there's nothing selfish about that. In fact, I, I think it's very self-loving. So 
the podcast really is just like an extension of the work that I do as a life coach and the work that I do with my clients and the messages that I really want to promote and share. It's really just all about inspiring people to kind of come in and love on themselves. You know, we feel well when we spread that kind of positivity from within. Yeah. So yeah, the podcast is just filled with a lot of mini nuggets of how can you take the very best care of you first? Gotcha. Well, thank you for having me on. First of all, first and foremost. <laughs> um, so what, how long have you been a life coach now? It has been gosh, Nick, four years. Ooh. Yeah. So, all right. Tell me about your journey. How did you become life coach what does that mean what is <laughs> what are you i know what it means but tell yes. tell tell the folks um and you know what what brought you to it how did you get there cool we'll unpack it out okay so there's Let's do it we got time it's a little multifaceted but i'm gonna give you the full scoop cool so i was a teacher and i used to i taught fifth grade okay. and sixth grade mm-hmm. And I loved it. It was something that really felt like a full circle for me for a really, really long time. I have fond memories growing up where I just, I was always that kid that looked back on my favorite teacher as the teacher that made me feel safe and loved and just like I was a human being, Mm -hmm. not that favorite teacher because they were so passionate about their subject that they taught or it was always for me looking back on my specifically my fourth grade teacher who just took an interest in me and made me feel really loved and and special she was also kind of like that grandma figure that i always secretly wanted sure Sure. (laughs) what was her name you want to give her a shout out yeah mrs mueller i actually wrote her a letter recently did you really that's great (laughs) i did because as a teacher i I really cherish some of the notes that I've gotten over the years that just to this day, like bring tears to my eyes. And I'm like, you know what? I've never shouted out my teacher. So, so yeah, I finally wrote her a letter. She's really old now and I don't know if she even got it, but (laughs) the school district sent it to her. So we'll see. Fingers crossed she gets it. But anyway, I, I start back there because I think that for me, becoming a teacher was a real fun, positive journey for a long, long time. And what happened was after a few years of doing it, I started to hear like a little whisper of like, well, maybe there's something more that I want to be doing. And at first I thought, well, maybe I just want to teach primary school or maybe I just want to, you know, try doing something different within the realm of education. And so the whisper started and I noticed I started paying attention to other things out there that maybe I was curious about. And but I stayed in my job for, for a while. And and for those people out there listening, it was probably about a year or two that I was having these thoughts of like, maybe something else is out there. Then I had a very traumatic incident happen with one of my students and she shared some things that were going on at home that just totally broke my heart in half. And I remember standing out in the hallway, talking to her and just literally wanting to wrap my arms around her and, and just, make her feel as safe as can be. And I knew that in that instant, I had to convey that information to the social worker and the school psychologist. And, and they took it from there. And I went back in and I taught math with this student heavily on my brain. And I remember in that moment, I was so conflicted, Nick. I mean, I thought, gosh, what do what does this mean about the work that I want to do? You know, we went to Augustana together and I go Vikings, go Vikings. I remember I started out as a psychology major before I switched over to education. And so this time in my life, I'm thinking, gosh, was I meant to be a psychologist? Like did I make the wrong decision? So I started researching all these other paths and I got totally sucked away into my online search. I remember one night I was taking a quiz on what your, you know, passion is, what your destined career should be. And the next day I ended up getting a call from the the administrators of this survey. And they were like, just so you know, your lowest area of life was your career. And I'm thinking, yep, go figure. Like I knew that (laughs) I, you know, I was feeling really great. And again, I want to really want to convey that I was happy in the work that I did as a teacher, but suddenly it became like, what, what does this really mean about the work that I really want to do when that incident happened with that student? It just really triggered something in me that made me think that I wanted to do deeper work somehow connected to people. And so 
Anyway, I end up, fast forward, I end up going to a conference that's tied to this survey that I took. And it's here wow. in Chicago. And it's a life-changing survey. It's a light, it was. <laughs> a, literally, it was a wow. life-changing right. survey. This group is called Lifebook. If anyone out there is listening, they still put on incredible four-day conferences. And this four-day conference actually literally did change my life because I think the timing, I really believe that the timing of things you know, if you can trust the timing of your life, you can really lean into a lot of beautiful, you know, signs and things that we maybe need to see that we wouldn't see otherwise if we didn't open our hearts to it. And anyway, I'm sitting there and next to me, there's this radiant, tall, beautiful, blonde woman who I'm like having a girl crush on. Number one, I'm married, <laughs> happily married to my husband, but I'm having a total girl crush on her. I'm like, gosh, she's so beautiful. And she starts talking to me and she tells me she's a life coach. And I remember thinking in that moment, like, I'm so curious about what that is. Like, I'd heard it before, but it was the first time I really heard it. It was the first time I was like, ooh, what is that? She starts telling me what she did, and the light bulb went off. And I knew in that instant, this is it. It's not be being a psychologist. It's not being a social worker. It's not being a teacher. It's getting into this path of life coaching. And I knew I needed to figure it out. And so fast forward, I ended up getting trained and certified as a coach while I was teaching. I did it right away and I loved it. And I started coaching on the side. I would get home from a long, long day of teaching and I'd take on all these coaching clients. A lot of them were free the early days, I remember. And gradually I started taking on paying clients and I transitioned as a teacher I remember telling a couple, I remember telling my administrator that I was a life coach and that I really wanted to kind of pursue the coaching world at some point. Like I saw that in, in the work that I did, but I, at that point I thought, is there a way that I can incorporate this into the work as a teacher? I wasn't sure that I wanted to leave immediately. I, I want to put that out there. And I feel very grateful that my school district offered me a coaching role in the school district. I was an enrichment coach for about a year and it was in doing that work, um, my administrator was really passionate about just helping build people up with what, with where they want to be and giving them tools to look at what's next. I remember she had all of us write a letter of, what do you see yourself doing in five years? And I was terrified because when I really thought about what I really wanted to do in five years, it had nothing to do with teaching. Mm. And that was the moment that I was like, I think I, I think I'm done with this and it was scary. And I remember shaking when I handed in my letter of resignation a few months after that moment. And I'm just really grateful because the people really met me with open arms. And so to answer the second part of your question about like what a life coach is, mm -hmm. you know, basically what a life coach does is they, you know, I, one thing I want to kind of, I think this really helped me initially when I was trying to make meaning of what a life coach does if you think about when you're sick and you have an uh, like actual cold or something and you need to go to the doctor, you would go to a doctor for something like that. Versus if you want to get stronger and you want to strengthen your body, you'd go to a personal trainer. Well, if you can kind of compare those two professions to therapy and life coaching, therapists will therapists are trained to be able to diagnose you. And they also work with you in your mind and kind of build that muscle up, right? But they tend to also focus inwardly on the past, things that have happened to you and really kind of work with you to kind of heal that space. And then, so we're kind of comparing the therapist here to a doctor, mm -hmm. right? And then I want you to, now to think of a life coach as the personal trainer, helping you strengthen yourself and helping you kind of work that muscle. The life coach is kind of like your personal trainer. They're going to strengthen your mind muscle and really help you think about where you want to be, the kind of person you want to show up as, and really give you the tools to have that strength. So the work that I feel so blessed and grateful to be doing today is really centered around helping people become their best selves. And I know it sounds so like, ah, you know, sugar and rainbows, like <laughs> we're all becoming our best selves. But Really, what, what I love about it is it's just people who are committed to the walk and who are committed to the journey of bettering themselves. Like, it's not about becoming perfect. It's just about constantly, like, being able to look inwardly and take time out to reflect on who you are and who you want to be. And a lot of it is tied to accountability and just helping people, you know, remember what they want so that they can get what they want. 
Mm. And that's kind of essentially what, what I do with the people that I, I support. So what does that work actually look like? You know, are you meeting one-on-one with these people? What is it? What is it? Yeah. What does it look like in practice? Yeah, that's a great question. So typically the way that I support my clients is virtually. So I have clients from California to New York, to Portland, to Spain, to Norway. Wow. (laughs) Yes. And, um, it is, is, it's a gift, you know, to be able to meet people where they're at, you know, literally through virtual connection. So what we do is we have either a Skype conversation or a FaceTime conversation where we can see each other and we talk for about an hour twice a month. And usually what, so yes, that hour of us talking is really critical and important, but really the the real work comes into play between the calls. It's the two weeks in between that we're not meeting where life happens. And I always leave the phone call with action steps so that my clients have a sense of what, what is, what's the intention here? Like, what am I trying to be mindful of? What am I trying to bring into my life? And so between each call, there are check-ins, there are texts, there are nudges, you know, depending on what people need. Sometimes there are quick mini phone calls in between to just really create this kind of relationship where you have a person who's in your corner who's like kind of your BFF right Mm -hmm. but they're not you know and I think that's the piece that I think we all need is we need somebody who's really rooting for us who's our friend but somebody who can kind of give it to us straight when we need it and do it in a loving way and I think that's the piece that I personally love from having my own coach and then also the work that I get to do with my clients Mm -hmm. so yeah it's it's kind of this walk where we meet every two weeks and some of my clients are actually in Chicago. I have two women that I meet with in Chicago and we usually go to a coffee shop and I wasn't offering that early on in my career, but you know, I love it. Seeing them in person is really a gift too, but I really, really do love being able to work from home and sitting in my sweatpants. They're sitting in their sweatpants I and mean, it's got a cup of coffee in hand and we're just keeping it real. You know, it's really about... It's not this like rigid formal relationship. And I think that's the other piece that I so love about the work I get to do as a coach is that we just show up and we're real and we speak our truths. We say where we're at and we allow ourselves the space to unravel. That is very interesting. <laughs> it really is. It's it's really cool. Good for you for doing that work. And you said you've got a coach yourself? I do. So funny enough, remember the beautiful blonde that I was sitting next to sure at do. Lifebook? She's, Your girl crush. She's my coach. Yeah, ah. she is. We. Her name is Beth Racine. She is truly, she's actually um, guest number two on my podcast, first and foremost, for those of you that might want to give it a listen. She is really just such a magnetic, warm human being and has had quite a life herself. She you know, you can listen to episode two to hear her story. I, I, I want to save that for her own words, but it's really like one of those stories that kind of knocks you off your feet a little bit. But um, she, her and I connected immediately at Lifebook and she believed in the work that I could do, you know, as we got to know each other. One of the things that she said to me that always really resonated was one of the reasons that you can't go to school right now to major in life coaching is because it is such a hard industry to regulate. It's either you got it or you don't. Either you have the chops to really hold space with somebody and listen and and walk through their struggle with them or you don't. And I think that that's shifting a little bit. I think we're finding ways to start to give people some of these tools. But I think that she really helped me believe in myself early on that I could do it when I didn't think I could. And I had that part of me that was very wrapped into the education mindset where I thought I had to have X, Y, Z accolades before I could call myself a life coach. And, you know, that's part of why I went and got certified and I've done other, you know, programs and training since to just add to that. But I think I've shifted my mindset around success and what you know, landing there and legitimacy and all that looks like. And part of that is because of Beth. I think that she's really, you know, helped me believe really wholeheartedly in a loving way, like what I have to share with the world and and to love on that. And I think that's been really something that 
it took a lot of practice to get to be able to say that and own it. But I think, you know, now I'm in a spot where she's just helped me with so, so, so much. And I'm very, very grateful. I mean, literally when we, we went away over the weekend together with our, the rest of our college friends and, you know, this is you and me, not you and, uh, Beth. Beth yeah. Correct. Thank you for the clarification <laughs> yes. for people listening. Yeah. We just went away with everybody else that we, um, are friends with and their, their significant others and had a really relaxing weekend in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. And unbeknownst to you guys, there was a moment on Saturday morning where I felt like I needed to chat with Beth for a second, just mm-hmm. because I had woken up and I've shared with you, Nick, that every once in a while I wake up with like, you know, a little negative energy or, I mean, and even as a life coach, you know, it, again, it's this work, it's this mm-hmm. work in progress. It's not perfection. It's just always kind of this work. And I called her for five minutes. We just had a nice little quiet chat and she helped me realign and just quickly set some intentions for how I wanted to show up. And, and that's the beauty of life coaching is on a Saturday morning, I called my life coach, you know, and I love being able to offer that to my clients when they want to take that up. Hmm. Right yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. <laughs> now you do. <laughs> now I do. All right. Uh, so let's go back a little bit. So uh, what brought you, we met in college yes. at Augustana. What brought you there? Oh, I'm so grateful. I landed at Augustana, but I actually learned about Augustana through my social worker when I was a junior in high school. So I grew up in foster care and I had a social worker who was really championing me to go to college. She knew that was a dream of mine, something that I really wanted. And she grew up in Galesburg, Illinois, which is a really small town, not that far from Rock Island where Augustana is located. And she told me about it and I don't know what it was, but it just, I, I think a part of it was all the pictures I'd seen of Augustana had these rolling hills. They get you with the pictures. Man. The pictures yeah. and the, the beautiful trees that were turning, you know, their vibrant colors in the fall. And that's my favorite season. And yeah. I think for me, it was initially that that drew me in. And then I went and saw it and it was game over. Yeah. Yeah. They get you with the pictures and then you go there in the fall and you see the campus and you're like, yep, I'm going here. And then you end up in debt. That's, that's, how, they, that's how they get you. Um so do you still have a um, a relationship with that social worker? No, I do not. Once I turned 18, pretty much all of my my connections and ties to foster care started to kind of shift away. Hmm. So, yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about uh, growing up in foster care? Absolutely. I So when I was, gosh, I think when I was like eight or nine years old, I have memories as as young as that of people kind of being in our family life dynamic that were popping in and out to kind of check on things. And it wasn't until I was 13 that I was actually taken away from my family and my siblings as well. We were taken away and we were put into foster care. So I was 13 when I have my first memory of going into a home and from the time that I was 13 to 18 years old I lived in three different foster homes Mm. and the first few years it was one after the other with a year within a year of each other and then the last one that I lived in I stayed in until I was 18 and I periodically lived with them you know for holiday visits and whatnot in college and then it was around my young 20s where we parted and I since have had no contact. So yeah, I, you know, from, from as early as 13 years old, I have memories of the different homes that Mm. I lived in. (laughs) So why, uh, why all of the moves? I had, well, there, there were each different, you know, each family comes with its own set of kind of systems, ways of being all that stuff. The first home that I lived in we were separated from them for, it's a little bit hard to talk about because, you know, there's a part of me that I think I'm still processing how people that are affected by some of this would take my interpretation of things. And so I want to first put it out there that these are my perceptions of what happened. And I want to honor that and that everyone has their own story of what happened And that's something that actually on a side note, Nick has been really helpful for me because I'm also in the process of writing a memoir right now. Hmm. And 
I really want to honor the fact that it's my reflection of things and that somebody else's reflection could look and feel differently. That's something that I just want to kind of put out there that my reflection is just mine, just that. So the first foster home that I ended in or that I lived in, we were, my brother Chris and I were put into that foster home together and all of our other siblings were not, they were back with my family. Hmm. Um, and with their dad specifically, but the first foster home we were taken away from because things were not going very well there. There were things that were going on that should not have been going on that I think ultimately led to us leaving. And to this day, I'm not sure that they, the foster parents are totally aware of some of those reasons as to why we were taken away. I think they were at least from what my social worker at the time has shared with me. They were made aware of that, but I, again, I can't speak for anybody but myself. And I want to just say that on my recollection, there were some things that were going on in the home that just weren't really the most like loving and caring things, even though they were wonderful people. And I think they did the best that they could. Um, and to this day, I'm mildly in touch with one of them, but you know, there were just some rules and things that were going on at the time that were not the best, you know, things that I don't think children really should know about or be exposed to. And so I think once DCFS, which is the, the, I can't say it, (laughs) which is the Department of Children and Family Services, once they caught wind of some of the things that were going on, they ultimately decided to take my brother Chris and I away. And there was another foster home that we had been kind of sort of in touch with that they decided to put us in. So we went to together, we were put into a second foster home after that. Hmm. Gotcha. Okay. You were 13 when this, when you first went into foster care? Yeah. I was like 13 verge of 14. Gotcha. Right around there. Gotcha. What what kind of a 13 year old were you? (laughs) It's a fun thing to think about. (laughs) Um, You know, as a, the, the work that I've done today, first I would, put my loving arms around that 13 year old girl. And I would just tell her that she's okay and that everything's good. (laughs) Um, but I was, I think my middle school years, I was a little bit more exploratory if that makes sense. And I was more vulnerable to things. And I want to, I want to preface that by saying that I don't mean like promiscuous or anything, because I think that can sound like that. But I think for me, I never was promiscuous. For some reason, um, I'm very, very fortunate that my experience in foster care didn't turn me that way. Because I think from what I've learned about children that have grown up in the system, it's very likely that we can become vulnerable to those kind of behaviors and also like drug addiction and alcohol abuse, all that stuff. And I feel very grateful that... In my childhood, I was really able to just keep myself aligned and really care for myself. But if I look back, I think 13 was a year of all the years that I had as a teenager. I think that was probably my hardest year. And I think so much of that is because of all the transition that was going on in my life. And I think I was really seeking family through my friendships and my friendships were really, really important to me and they kept leaving because I kept leaving, you know, those friendships couldn't really stick. But yeah, I, I think in terms of the kind of 13 year old that I was, I really just, I think I was really leaning into people and the friendships that I had and I was really, really craving that from people. So I was probably just very energetic, very I think personable in in a sense of like the people around me, I think could very easily shape kind of how I was. And I think a lot of us can probably connect to that as 13 year olds, but yeah, I was, I was, I think I was just doing the best that I could in the situation, but I really, really was craving, I think stability. And I saw that in the friendships that I could have because a lot of the things that I wanted for myself at home just weren't there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm going to pause real quick because Migo's eating my backpack. Hey, buddy. You need a chew toy. I'm going to go grab him and chew toy. Okay. I'll be right back. I'm sure, sorry. That's fine. So how do you think that that experience from age 13 on has shaped your life uh, moving forward? 
I think it's been, I think that experience has profoundly impacted just my entire trajectory in life. I look back on those years as like life lessons on how to take care of myself. And, you know, growing up from a very young age, I learned that if there's something that I want in life, that number one, my present situation doesn't define the kind of person that I can become. You know, I think that was something that just really resonated with me at a very young age. And I think part of that is because I had a couple of really key people in my life, even though my home life was always changing. I had a couple of constants on the outs that stayed with me through those years who really helped build that part of myself up that I'm not defined by my experiences, that I am somebody that, you know, can have the things that I want in my life if I believe that I'm worthy of it. And I think that was a really powerful lesson that I learned at a very, very tender age. And then I think the other piece is that even though so much was unpredictable in my childhood, and even though the foster years were really tough, one thing that I really, really am grateful for is that my mom, my biological mom, even though she had her own struggles, my mom really showed me love. She always made me feel loved. Even when she wasn't there, I always felt her love through when she was there. She, she was a very nurture. She is a very nurturing person. And she, I think really helped create some self-confidence at a very, very early like time in my life where I carried that with me in my teen years and leaned into that when I didn't feel loved. So in times when I would be in a foster home and something would happen and I would cry myself to sleep or something like that, just as an example, I would think about my mom and I would think about the the things that my mom would say to me or the way that she, I think, wanted to be there for me, but couldn't, you know, because of some of her own struggles. And so I think that time in my life really shaped who I am now, because when I want something now, I think about that right now I might not have the means to have it, or I might not have the tools or the experiences to have what I want or where I, you know, want to be. But I think back to like, if it's something in your heart that you really feel is, is where you need to be and where you need to go, like, let's find a way, let's believe that it's possible to, to get. And then I think the other piece is coming back to that feeling of love. You know, I carry that with me now wherever I go. And I have since learned that, and this is the biggest life lesson I think I've had is that in my teen years, when my mom was not there for me, I can sit here and say that it was my mom that got me through that, like thinking about her. But really what I've learned is that it was me and that I was able to love myself through that experience and really soothe myself. And I was able to to do that because I felt that at a very tender age and I credit that to that piece. But what I've learned now as an adult is that I create all the love and stability and safety that I need. And I don't need any other one person to you know, be responsible for that. And it's wonderful when you have that on the other angles. But I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned in my whole life is that, you know, things could completely unravel and shatter and just, you know, be awful and all these things. But at the end of the day, you are your person. Like you have to show up for you. You have to take care of you. You have to love you. And I think for me, that's been what got me through it. Is, what, what gets me through it? Yeah, that is badass, and that is that's the the best uh, advertisement you could have given for yourself as a life coach. I think that, <laughs> that story right there that was Aww. that was the goods. Good well, for you. Well, thanks, Nick. I mean, it's it's for me. It's like it's just what it is. It's like I, you know, I could have looked at that experience and gone, you know what, like woe is me. That's really crappy and make that my story like put you shout it out on the rooftops and and say that but here's the thing like I'm not ashamed of what happened but I also know it's not 
that doesn't define me in any way, just like other experiences that I've had since none of it defines who I am. It's all like shaped who I've become. And I think, you know, in answering that question, it's like that particular experience left a profound mark in who I am, you know, and I'm really grateful for it. Mm -hmm. You know, I look back on it and yeah, it sucked when I was, you know, 18 going to prom and I had nobody there (laughs) like that was there to take pictures of me but I'm looking around and you know what like there were a lot of wonderful people that were there that were friends and my my mother-in-law was there you know I didn't know it at the time she'd be my mother-in-law someday (laughs) but I just I think it's about celebrating what you have and not not kind of just feeling sad over what you don't. And I have given myself permission to feel the sadness, but I think that at the end of the day, I'm just so grateful that those things happen because it all has led me right here to be able to talk to you in this moment and do the real, real work that I think is in my heart to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) what are the, uh, what are these, the things that you do? What is the work that you do every day for yourself? The, you, you are an evangelist for self-care. So what is it that you do for yourself that makes you, that allows you to be the person you are? So I think one of the biggest things is, um, I absolutely am a proponent of just taking time out for you to like reflect and to be with your thoughts and to just slow it down and, tend to what's there. I always, always, always start my day with the question, what am I needing today, love? Just what am I needing today, love? And I say it in a very like warm, gentle way in my head and I think about it. And sometimes I write it out in a journal. I'll kind of reflect and take a moment to just be in my head. But I try to then think about what I have going on throughout the day, different events or meetings or you know, maybe there's, you know, an activity or something that I have at some point. I try to think about my big three things that I have for the day that I really want to show up really aligned and well for. And I think about three intention words that I can be mindful of in those moments. So, you know, for example, I have this amazing chat with you today. I'm thinking, well, I really want to be present for that. I really want to be calm. I really want to be you know, aware. I want to be very real and candid. So whatever word is aligning, I'll think of one and I'll have that as part of my intention words for the day. So usually that's one practice that I have. Sometimes it's just as simple as like making a hot cup of coffee, having a glass of cold water, snuggling my puppy, snuggling my husband, starting my day in that space feels really, really good. You know, Um, every once in a while it's going for a walk and getting fresh air. When I am feeling my best, I might even get a workout in there right now. Um, for those of you that are listening, I'm still recovering from a little back injury that I had, but you know, self-care right now for me is listening to that and noting that I can't really work out and tending to that piece and not beating myself up over it. Mm -hmm. I also, you know, really just love to, pour my heart and energy into the work that I do that has actually become a part of my self-care and just really being able to show up fully for my clients and the work that I'm creating for them and then turning it off at the end of the day, you know, really unplugging, being able to have a little mindless time where I can watch a fun show that I love and um, make a really nourishing dinner for my husband and myself. And I think these are the things that really it's like, Self-care doesn't have to be the bubble bath. It doesn't have to be the, you know, the ritual of getting a massage or whatever the things are that feel really great. Like these are all self-care pieces. But for me, self-care can even be just like, okay, when I am on the couch and I'm watching a television show with my husband, like I'm choosing to be really wrapped up in that moment with him and sharing that space with him rather than watching the show, being on my phone, playing with the dog, like all these things at once. It's like, how can I be in that moment with that person and really, you know, give myself to that? Mm -hmm. I think that for me is, is very self-loving as well. So how do you pull that off? And I'm asking partially selfishly because I, I have a really (laughs) hard time with that. You know, there are some times when I'm watching TV and I'm like, eh, I'm going to go see what's on the news, like on my phone, you know, and it's, and I have, I have a really hard time being in the moment. So how, yeah, what are, what are the, tools that you use to, to pull that off? 
I think number one is noticing, and my husband and I talk about this sometimes, like sometimes you want that. Sometimes you want the mindless time where you're really not being intentional at all. You're kind of giving yourself a permission slip to be just kind of like lost in the thing that you're doing. I think that's okay. You know, giving yourself permission to do that. It's, it's also this kind of two pack punch, if you will, of noticing that maybe there's a part of you that doesn't feel your most aligned self when you're doing that. So that's the piece where we would come in and look at it and go, well, how can we feel more connected in that moment? Like, how can we, you know, maybe for, for you, I'm just giving an example. Like if you're in that moment and you're noticing like, Oh, I'm doing this and I'm, I, you know, I'm kind of doing all these things at once. Maybe it's in that moment, just kind of like very gently and compassionately, like noticing that you're feeling that way and then going, all right, well, what do you want to do right now? Like, do you want to be on your phone? And if the answer is yes, then you give yourself like a, a time out. Like, it's okay. I can do this right now. It's kind of like this back and forth within our minds of just, I think sometimes what we're really craving is being intentional and doing something from a place of love rather than just doing it and not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And so I find when I'm in those moments where I'm really wanting like, to lose myself in a moment to just give myself permission for that. If that's really what I'm wanting. But I think in the other moments where you really are trying to work to be intentional and, you know, savor the thing that you're doing, I think it really is just a daily practice of noticing. And it is hard. I will say that it is hard in the beginning when you're first starting to do that. But I think if you can find a way to slow down and, create some like five minute window in your day where you're taking time out for you and you're doing something very loving for yourself, whether it's journaling or you're writing down some gratitude words or you're, you know, having that cup of coffee and you're just kind of thinking about the things that you're grateful for. I think having a little morning ritual where you are slowing it down and you're not doing much else. Some people like to pray or they meditate or they go for a walk or they, you know, read whatever the thing is that makes you feel like you've slowed down. I think creating that practice, at least for me right away in the morning is what tends to set me up for the most success for the rest of the day. So that when I'm in those other moments, it doesn't feel sometimes I think what I've noticed with my clients specifically is that if the whole day goes by and you've done nothing for yourself, that's usually when we start to fall into that, like, phase of I did nothing today. I did nothing meaningful today. I just served everybody else. I went through life like kind of mindlessly, like whatever the thing is. And I think for us, you know, being able to know without a doubt, you started your day and you did something positive for you. That just kind of has a trickle effect and runs into everything else in your day. And I find that when you start your day like that, it can be a lot easier over time to create that practice of being more intentional. Right now. I'm into it, man. Uh, tell me more about this memoir that you're writing. I didn't know you were writing a memoir. Yeah, I'm I'm writing a memoir. <laughs> Putting that out into the universe. Yeah. Um, so when Adam and I, my husband Adam, when we moved into our house, I found this stack of journals. Uh, and it was fun discovery because 13-year-old 13 year me was like on fire as a, a writer. <laughs> I, I have quite a pile of journals and poetry books and all these things that I did for fun as a little girl. So I, I noticed that I had all these journals and all these just really kind of cool artifacts from my early days of life. And I, I, one of the things I noticed right away that I had written was that someday I, I wrote in my journal, you know, with all the things happening in my life, I feel like I could write a memoir or I could write a book someday, I think is what I said back then. And I, from that point on, I had talked about it quite a bit as a young, young girl that someday I wanted to write a book. And that's always been present for me in the back of my head that someday I would write a book and that someday very recently has felt like now, like I've been having this pull to do it, to put it out there to just get it out. And I have read a few books in my my life that have really resonated with me. And I've learned that my favorite memoirs read like a novel. And so that's been kind of my challenge is trying to tell my story in a way where I'm showing you what happened and not telling you what happened. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm 
really, you know, 2018 is my, my goal to really, really, really sit down with this and make it happen. Cool. Yeah. Cool. What are the uh, memoirs that, that inspired you? So there's, there are two books that are real big inspirations for me in writing my own memoir. And one, ironically enough, is not a memoir. The other one is a memoir. So The Glass Castle is the memoir that I have read that, yep, and it's on my shelf right now. Nick <laughs> just pointed to it. It is a beautiful story by Jeanette Walls, and it's a movie right now, so it's kind of having a moment. But I love the way it reads. I think she does such a beautiful job of writing it where... It really feels like a story and it is her story, but she wrote it in just such a, I think, touching way where as a reader, you get pulled in right away, you know? So I love The Glass Castle. And then the other book that has really shaped my journey into wanting to write my own uh, story or slash memoir is White Oleander. And that is my favorite book of all time. And I love, love, love that story because one, I think it's so beautifully written, but I think for me, I can just relate so much to the narrator of the story. Her name's Astrid, and she grows up with her mother and gets taken away and gets put into all these different foster homes. And it's just this kind of tale of a relationship between a mother and daughter. And essentially my book is going to be very similar, except mine is going to be a memoir. (laughs) Um, It will be a real story, but I look to that story and also the glass castle when I need a lift and I need to kind of be reminded that like these kind of tales of real life slash, you know, white Oleander's not real (laughs) life, but very well could have happened. I think these two stories just remind me that I have a story to tell and that I want to tell it. I'm at a point in my life now. I'm 33 years old and I think I just, I want to put it out there and I want to do it in a way that feels really enriching and motivating and inspiring and doesn't burn anybody or again, it's my perspective. It's not like a, you know, put a salt in the wound type thing. (laughs) Like, I don't believe that. I think everyone, at least in my experience, I think is really just trying to do the best they can and. I just want to share my own reflection of what it was like growing up with a mom who struggled with drug addiction and also, you know, the aftermath of that growing up in foster care and being able to find healing, forgiveness, love, kind of all those things so that I could eventually become my own self, my own woman, you know? Good for you. Really? That's really inspiring. That's great. Thanks, Nick. So what are the uh, things lately that are bringing you joy? Oh, well, this is bringing me joy. (laughs) Being able to see you on this dreary Wednesday is bringing some sunshine into my day. Quite dreary. Um, What brings me joy? Gosh, my husband, he's like the very best thing that's ever happened to me in my whole entire life. Like I cannot say that any more than I'm saying it right now is just so amazing. And then my puppy brings me a lot of joy. He's really, really rambunctious and he's like a little two-year-old child right now, but there's just so much joy radiating radiating in his body when he turns over and wants you to rub his belly. And he just really reminds me just how joyful, how joyful life can be. So I'm very, very grateful and, and just loving on that piece of my life right now. I think what brings me joy is knowing that I have found a way to have the stability, the love, the friendship, the connection, it's, it's here, it's in my life. You know, that brings me so much joy, just knowing that there are really, really, really wonderful people that I can call friends and family now who really might not actually be my blood relatives or anything like that. But that brings me joy, you know, like thinking about going to Thanksgiving next week. And I'm not sure when you're putting this out. So, but who knows? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it could, could very well have passed by the time you guys are listening to this. But the holidays, for example, you know, like I, I remember there was a time in my life where I loathed the holidays. Like it just wasn't a time that I liked. I, I remember growing up in foster care. I always was reminded that I like wasn't part of the family Mm -hmm. on holidays. Um, 
it just, you know, with photos and stuff, like I always felt like, I don't know. I just felt like I was like, kind of like crap, cropped into everything. If that makes sense in any way, I didn't feel like I was really wanted, even if deep down, I tried everything in my power to convince myself that people wanted me there. I just, looking back, I don't know that that was always the case. And I think that's kind of the reality of what it's like to, to be a foster child. And I think for me as an adult, just knowing that I now have so much of that in my life, it feels so rewarding. And that's joy to me. It's the people, you know, like, yes, I have amassed a lot of things that really feel like amazing and awesome. And I look at and they bring me joy, but none of it matters. Like the thing that really matters to me is like the work that I'm able to do now, you know, being able to have my day spent with other women who are out there, like wanting to create the very best lives for themselves. Like that feels really joyful. And just all the other people in my life, my friends, my family, you know, it's just, that's joy to me. That's what brings me joy. Right on. So how can people connect with you? So most of the time people can find me um, usually on Instagram. I'm pretty active on Instagram and I'm just Jen Willie on Instagram. And, and also they can connect with me through, if they're in Chicago, I tend to do workshops every once in a while in the city. So you could actually connect with me in the real time by coming to one of those or once a year, and actually this fall, it's starting in two weeks, I'm launching my first ever nine-month-long program. It's oh. called First and Foremost as well. And that is a real exciting journey to basically grow your passion work from the inside out by taking care of you first. And it's kind of chock-filled with all my tools for self-care and self-growth to really help build that rock solid foundation so that you can give to your work <laughs> on a real thriving level. So you can connect with me through that when I launch it again. And then also it's just every once in a while, I'll get like a really inspiring, wonderful note from somebody via my website or again on Instagram, just, you know, kind of connecting through those two platforms. And then uh, my podcast first and foremost, and then also my blog. I have a blog that's on my website where I post frequently on there. And what's your website? My website's just jenwilly.com. All right. And you can <laughs> sign up for the first and foremost program on your website via your website. Yeah, you can check that out on my website. It will be up for probably another couple weeks before I take it down. And then if you, you know, if you're listening and you want to kind of hear more about that and if, if it happens to be closed by that time, you can, you know, get on the wait list by checking out my website. Cool. So, yeah. Well, I feel good. You feel good? I feel really good. Right on. Thanks yeah. for talking with me, Jen. You got it. Thank you.